open your heart to me, I have all that you need. Allow me to take root within you, and life will begin to grow like a seed. It all sounds so good, but can it be true? Can sin really lose its power over me? You died on the cross and rose from the grave, so surely you can set me free. I acknowledge I've wronged you time and again. I am wicked and dirty inside. But Lord, if you'll have me, I'll surrender my life. I'll let go of my shame and my pride. By faith, I believe. My guilt is now gone. My conscience has been wiped clean. I choose your kingdom and turn my back on the world. There's no in between. Must I deny myself and turn from my sin? Fine, I'm sick and tired of both anyways. I was headed the wrong way, but you'll help me turn and prepare me for that final day. But not by myself, for I see in your word you promised a helper to make it all come true. Baptized in water, now, Lord, send your spirit. With him I can obey you. I know it won't be easy, but you're worth whatever comes. The road is narrow but I'll respond to your call. Strengthened by grace and by your people, the church, Christ is now my all in all. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day! I'm so grateful to get to see you and be welcomed into your homes. And I just wanted to tell you Happy Mother's Day to every mom here that is with us this morning. And to my mom, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to you. I love you so much. Thank you for keeping me alive and for growing me up. And more than anyone on planet Earth, Debbie McMillan, you have taught me how to love. And thank you for teaching me how to love and what it means to be a mother. And so thank you. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. And I wanted to also just acknowledge that this day can feel and be painful for some people sometimes. And for those of you who have lost your mother and she's already gone away to heaven or maybe she wasn't super present with you or able to be present with you in your life, I just want to acknowledge that place and that this day can be painful and sad for a lot of people. And then I also just wanted to acknowledge those in our midst who have lost children and who they've already gone to heaven and you were waiting to meet them one day. And whether you were pregnant with them for four weeks or they passed away in their adult life, I just want to acknowledge their life and to celebrate and honor their memory and to say, we are so sorry for your pain. I don't know a pain that is more certain than the pain of a parent losing a child. And so I just want to acknowledge that today and to say we love you and we're here for you and we're sorry for your loss and we're remembering your children today with you. And so over the last four, three weeks, we have been studying about the soils, the four soils that it talks about in the Gospels. And we've talked about the soil that is, that is spread across the road that the devil carries away in the message out of their hearts. And we talked about the rocky soil where you hear the good news, but it doesn't have root. And after a while, trial and temptation, it gets carried away. And then we talked about the thorny soil where people hear the word 
and receive it, but it's choked out and suffocated by the anxieties and the cares of this world, and it doesn't ripen and grow. And so do we want to be any of those soils? No, we don't. And so we want to be good soil. And so today we're going to talk about good soil, and we're going to talk about it out of Luke 8, 8. It says, and some seed fell onto good soil, and it grew up, and it yielded a crop a hundred times as great. And some of the other Gospels, it says it grew to 30, 60, and even 100-fold yield return on the seed that was sown. And that's the kind of seed soil that we want to be in our lives. We want to be the kind of soil that 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit comes out of our lives. And Jesus explains in Luke 8, 15, when the, the disciples heard him say this parable, and they were like, what does this mean? He describes it in Luke 8, 15. I'm reading out of the Amplified, and it says, but as for that seed in the good soil, these are the people who, hearing the word, hold it fast. They hold fast in a just, virtuous, and worthy heart, and they steadily bring forth fruit with patience. That is good soil. That's what it means to have good soil. And when I think about that word, holding fast, or to hold fast, I think about if you were falling off a cliff and the salvation rope came of Jesus Christ, would you just like hold on to it with one hand and like keep holding on to something else? Oh, I don't want to let go of that thing. No, if you're falling off a cliff, you would grab that rope with your whole might and your whole heart. You would hold fast to the word, which is Jesus Christ. And you would do it with a just and virtuous and worthy heart. And we will steadily bring forth fruit with patience. And so that's Luke 8, 15, and that's Jesus's description of the good fruit or the good soil that bears good fruit. And we're going to talk about that today. And so one of the things that I love about this, this parable is that it, also, it, it, it speaks of what the different responses could be when we share the gospel with others. And, and it is comforting. It reminds me of when, when my children might see something in the world for the first time or experience heartbreak or go, I didn't know that people would be mean or make bad choices and they're confused. Like, why would someone ever do something like that? Have you ever felt like that before? I've definitely felt like that before. When someone has the opportunity to hear the good news and they don't accept it or they walk away and it can be so heartbreaking. But I, I think of with my own kids, how I hold them and I just say, I know that that's hard, but it doesn't mean that we're doesn't mean we're going to stop sharing. We're never going to stop sharing the good news, even if people don't respond to it, even if they they hear it and get excited for a while and go away, or however it is that they respond. We're not in charge of their heart. We're just in charge of sharing the good news with others. And so, I love the parable because it feels like God's comforting love as a father saying. Sometimes people won't respond, and that is sad, but it is the truth. And so it's just a comfort there. But then also I wanted to explore today thinking about this visual imagery of our life being like a field, our life being soil in a place where upon salvation, when we choose to receive Christ's forgiveness and his, the blood that he shed on the cross for the payment of our sin and our salvation in him, when we choose that exchange and we're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, he comes and he takes this standard or this big banner of his 
love and he thrusts it into our heart and he says, this is my territory now. This person belongs to me. They're a citizen of heaven. And so when we, when, when we choose salvation, we're born again into, into Christ, we are his possession. So all of our land belongs to him. But within our land, there are maybe some rocky places. There's maybe a place where every time it rains, this one part gets super muddy, you know, and it's hard to walk in. We have to work on the irrigation a little bit. And there's this other part that there's this crazy thorn bush, and we have to pull it all out so that in all the areas of our heart, we have good soil to work with. And it talks about that. It references our lives being like a field or the, the nature of, of planting within ourselves in 1 Corinthians 3. And it says, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And so I just, I love this passage because Paul and Apollos are these teachers of the word of, of God to the church in, Corinthian, in Corinth, but what, they're, what he's saying is it is good to have a teacher teach you about the Bible. It is good to have uh, someone help come and water the seeds and help walk you along in discipleship. We want that in our lives, but only God makes things grow, and we have to know him, and he has to be our reason. We have put our trust and our hope in him and not in any man. And so I just feel like that's just a reminder out of that, but also just remembering that visual imagery there of the field and our lives being like a field. And so as we, as we are exploring this this morning, I wanted to encourage those of you who feel like your field is depleted of nutrients, like maybe... Um, because our fields and its, its natural ability to yield fruit has to do with our hard, our hard work and our, our desire to choose holy living and to seek the Lord and to practice righteousness. But it also has to do with, with our upbringing and with the things that we've encountered in this life and the hardships that we've experienced and just the natural um, experiences that we have in this world. And I just wanted to rem remember uh, this story. It's like a fictional story of a man who was left behind on Mars, okay? And so this whole planet, nothing grows on this whole planet, and he was left behind. He was on this mission, and his whole team had to leave, and he was left behind. And with the help of NASA and all the other people, he was able to grow potatoes on Mars where nothing grows. And the soil isn't, isn't made to grow things, but he found a way to, with, with the help of NASA and all of his team that were helping him remotely, he was able to grow potatoes. And so if potatoes can grow on Mars, then anything can grow in all of our hearts. And so I just want you to say, to, to remind you today that it's, it's okay if your heart feels dry. It's okay if your heart feels like nothing could ever possibly grow in here. Don't you know what I've been through? Don't you know what my life is like? I just, God is faithful to you, and he will grow good things inside of you. It is possible, and it, it is. It's possible. He wants to do it in you. And so I wanted to turn to Proverbs 24 as we, as we kind of start to unpack this whole idea of God establishing things within us. And so in Proverbs 24, it says, By wisdom, a house is built. Through understanding, it is established. 
and through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And this is a verse that feels close to my heart. I have it framed in our house. I look at it almost every single day. And I think about this journey that we're on in our lives with God, where he builds us, he establishes us, and then he fills us. And so for, the, for this message, and then just recently, in the last several years, I've been reading through it consistently and studying it. And what I've learned is, I, I want to share with you, I think, I think it's fascinating. And so um, by wisdom, that word wisdom, it means to be, the, the Hebrew root is, it's translated to, to be or to act wisely. And so when you're thinking of wisdom that builds things within your life, that word is really an active word, to be or act wisely, to choose wisdom, to be wise. And so it's a very action-oriented word. We're going to choose wisdom in our lives. We have two choices, like Deuteronomy 30 says, life and death is set before us. So we're going to be people who choose life so that our descendants may live. We're going to choose life. And so that wisdom, day after day, that hard work, it builds in our life. And then through understanding what we have built or he has built in us is established. And that word understanding, the Hebrew word, root for it, means to discern. And so when we have had the opportunity to walk in wisdom and to choose wisdom time and time again, the establishment of that in our life is discernment. The ability to not just make these choices, but to discern deeper ways of, of, the, of righteousness and what it means to walk in holy living and to allow, to understand the things of God, to understand, to discern. And that is what establishes things in our life. And then this word knowledge means to be endowed with, to possess or to belong. And knowledge fills with rare and beautiful treasures. And, and with that word knowledge, to know, it is also the Hebrew word can, can be translated to the, the intimacy between a man and a wife to really know one another, that knowing, the most intimate kind of knowing. And so we choose wisdom, gain standing and discernment, and then really know the Lord, know him. And I love because it says knowledge, it, through knowledge our rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And that rooms, um, the Hebrew is chadan, which means the chamber room. And so the room is like that intimate place. It's filled with rare and beautiful treasures. But this is my most favorite part of all of it, that that room, tr that word treasure it, you think of, of like diamonds and rubies and like the beautiful things in this world and those are exciting things, but that's not actually what the Hebrew translates to when you, when you look at that word wealth or, or treasures or riches, it actually is translated to being ready, to readiness. And so when we know him in the deep chamber of our heart, the wealth of it, what comes in wealth is a readiness, and it even can be translated, it says, regarded as easy or ready to go to war. Regarded as ready to go up the hill. And so that word, riches or wealth, is to be ready. And guys, the whole point of all of this in this earth is so that we're ready for his return. We're ones that are ready in a moment, in season and out of season, to respond to the word that's in our life, to respond to a need that we have in, in, in and around us, but it's really to be ready for his return. 
because it's all we want is for him to come back, for us to be together with him forever. And so I just wanted to share that with you this morning. Wisdom builds, understanding establishes, and knowledge fills us and makes us ready for his return. And that is wealth. Wealth is being a heart that is virtuous and noble and ready. That is wealth. And so I wanted to share with you about just my story and how God has built and established and filled my life and the choices and the hard work I've made to, or that we have made to tend our soil and so, so that nobility and virtue was built inside of us so we could see that 30, 60, 100-fold return. And so I'm going to kind of just back up and share some of, the, some of my story and some of the ways that I was able to see God do those things in my life and what that looked like. And so I grew up in Houston. I have a deep heritage in the Lord. My um, grandfather on my father's side planted churches and was and my grandmother and him just loved Jesus. He was the treasure of their hearts. My, um, you know, on my mother's side, grandmother, great grandmother, and all the lineage has chosen Jesus. It's like this deep wealth of heritage. I'm so grateful. My parents loved Jesus, loved me, were present with me, faithful to each other, and so there was just a, a stability in my life that is unusual, and I'm so grateful for it. And even with all of those amazing things that were built into my life and the, the amazing surroundings that I was raised in, I still had to find Jesus for myself. I still had to choose him for myself. And that was a journey. And I'm so grateful. I, I received his salvation at an early age, recognized my need for him and received his, the, his forgiveness for my sins and was born again. And then I grew up and went away to college. And I remember being at Baylor and honestly just looking around and seeing a lot of different people that reflected myself to me, which were, I felt like they, they believed in God, they loved God, but their lives didn't look a whole lot different than maybe the people that would like just outwardly rebel or party all the time. It was like, I couldn't really tell the difference from the outside. Maybe the people that went to church just felt a little worse about the bad things they did than the other people, but it was like similar life, you know, and I could see that in me, just like a little bit of that lukewarm, and I just hated it. I I didn't want that for my life. I wanted to be in or out, like I I, follow you or not, you know, and so I remember I left my dorm, and I went, and I sat on these steps at right outside of my dorm at Baylor University, and I said, okay, Lord, if you are real, then reveal yourself to me. Like, come and show me. Like, you've done it a million times. Like, just, I don't care how you want to do it. But just show me yourself because I need to know you're real. And I want to follow you all the days of my life, but something has to shift inside of me. And I remember that moment like it was yesterday, and it will never, ever stop having power for me. What happened was I was sitting there, and I prayed that prayer, and I closed my eyes, and then I just kind of opened them. And what happened was I was filled with peace. And it was honestly the sweetest, greatest gift that God could give me because I've learned, especially having children, that you can create a peaceful environment for them, for your kids. You can light the candle and put on a show or lay them down, cover them with a blanket, be on the beach, walking along the way. But you, a peaceful environment does not equal peace inside of your soul. Only God can put peace inside of your soul. And he's the, he's the prince of peace, and I needed peace in that season in my life, and he gave it to me. He gave me undeniable, tangible peace through his presence, and I needed that. 
And what happened after that is hunger for God started growing. The Bible, I wanted to read it all the time. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, all of them, they just were growing in my life. And I, I found myself in a community there in Waco called Antioch. And I started going to that church. And what I saw there were the people, it was like the things of this earth had grown strangely dim to them. That, like that song we just sang, it was like they, they were different because they followed him. And I was like, I, that's what I want. I am hungry for that. And they, were, they had an ability and a self-control to choose holy living. And they, they were on a mission of the Great Commission. There was something bigger that they were living their lives for. And they chose Acts 2, 42 through 47 as their model for community. And I saw it. I saw it happening. And it, it just blew me away. I was like, I want to be a part of this. I want to learn about how to live this way. And I remember one day during that time, I was in my dorm room, my freshman year in college, and I, I, right across the street from where I lived, it was this big parking lot. And they were going to build a Panhellenic building for all the sororities right across the, across the street from our dorm room. And so they were beginning construction on it. And I was just sitting on my bed one morning looking out the window and seeing all these tractors and things going on on this parking lot, preparing it to have this big new building built on it. And they were all just like out there jackhammering up this huge, this huge concrete, like this big parking lot, just jackhammering it all up, taking all of it up to build this new building. And I felt like the Lord was like, Ashley, that is like your heart. And it is like right now there are patterns and habits and ways of thinking that are like this ugly parking lot. And like I said before, his banner has been thrust into my heart. It is fully, I'm fully, completely belong to him. But he was like, there needs to be major renovation done here. Major work needs to be done in your heart. And he was like, so will you go on a journey with me of allowing me to like jackhammer up the things that need to go away so I can plant my ways inside of you, so I can plant my things inside of you. And I just remember saying, yes, Lord, I will. I'll do that. Whatever you want to take out of me, take it out. Whatever you want to put in, I want you to put it in. And so it makes me think, too, of, of early on, like this, just the, the reflection of the amount of self-control that I had was, I mean, I would be like, okay, we're going to fast today. Our whole section's fasting. And so I would be like, 8.45, I'm walking to class, and I, like, eat a Nutrigrain bar. And I remember one time eating half the Nutrigrain bar and taking it and being like, no, I want self-control. I can't even fast for, like, two hours. And I, like, threw it in the big dumpster. I was like, please, Lord, help me. I need help. I need self-control. And I remember, um, yeah, that just just sitting there and being like, okay, I'm going to have, like, three peanut M&Ms and then eating, like, the entire bag, you know, and being like, why don't I have control over what I put in my mouth? I mean, that you should have control over that. It's like very, only has to do with you. And I just had no self-control in so many different areas. And my heart was willing. My heart was willing, but my flesh was so weak. And it reminds me of, of um, when Jesus tells his disciples about when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's like, please just stay up for an hour and pray. And it, and it says, uh, he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He tells them that because they had all fallen asleep. He was just gone for a little while, and he's like about to go to the cross. He's like, please just stay up and pray, and they all fell asleep. And that was like, that felt like me, for sure, all the time. And I was like, I need help. I need to learn how to be uh, like a, a, a disciple of Jesus, to really follow him and 
to be faithful. And so here's a few practicals of the things that were in my jack, like that were being jackhammered up, that were in that concrete, that were being removed from my life. And um, so, and, and honestly, the, the, what the jackhammering was for me was this practice of forgiveness, repentance, renouncing any yucky thing, and then receiving what God had in exchange. That journey, forgiveness, repentance, renouncing and receiving from the Lord was like the wind and the rain and the sun and the soil of my life. Like that was the the practice of how he got those things out. Every morning, sitting together with him, reading the Bible so I actually knew what his words said and going through the hard work of asking those questions. Who do I need to forgive? Where do I need to repent? Is there anything that I am agreeing with that doesn't align with your word And then what do you have for me today? And so as I did that, I went through character studies of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus and of the Father and was always reading about who they were, what their nature was like. I was putting it in, putting it in, all the good things, putting it in. And so insecurity was massive for me. I was majorly insecure, comparing myself with others all the time, wanted all the attention and the glory for myself. And so I would... um, it did some radical things during that time that felt like the jackhammer to get those things out. And I would, I would fast a lot. I went at one season, I fasted, um, like speaking when I wasn't spoken to, cause I would have this issue with like sharing too much or, or stretching the truth and trying to use sarcasm to be funny, but it would actually offend people. And I just had no idea. I was really learning how to let my words be salty and helpful. And so I was, quieting myself so that when I spoke, it was thoughtful. And so many times I would talk and I had no idea what I had even said. And um, I would confess my sin a lot. I would tell people the thoughts that I had and the actions that I had done, save just a few people, but I would consistently confess my sin. Um, When it came to like my possessions and and just the things that I had, I remember um, there was a season where I felt like the Lord said, if there's someone that um, compliment something you have, I want you to give it to them. I mean, there was a few things that were off limits, like my car or whatever, you know, but like, it was like, if they compliment it, just give it to them. So I remember one morning uh, we were greeting at the front and somebody was like, I like that scarf. And I just was like, here, you can have it. And there was just something about it that was stripping away the things of this world. And I remember picking up trash. Like when I would see trash on the street, I'd pick it up. I remember going, I was a theater major and I would go clean the theater at night when no one was there. No one asked me to. I just wanted to find ways to serve in the secret place so that God could use that to to help me understand him and and to help me understand his heart. And so it wasn't long after they jackhammered up the parking lot that they started to build and they started to plant. And I remember a little later on in the semester, there was this big, or there was this little tree and it was right across the street and they were starting to put in like some landscaping and it was an oak tree and it it was like a sapling basically. It was really small and it had those um, bands that went from the trunk to the ground that were all fastened to the ground so that if the wind came, the tree didn't fall over. And I felt like the Lord was like, you are doing such a good job at jackhammering up this concrete or letting me jackhammer up your concrete, but I'm planting in you now, but I want you to see that tree. It is like a reflection of your heart. And I was like, it absolutely is. Like I needed all of the bands to keep my tree from falling over. The roots weren't very deep. And he was like, these bands, they represent your boundary lines and they represent the things that are that are on limit uh, uh, or available to you and the things that are off limits. And for me, that was like, 
I didn't, I didn't even want the boundary line. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, um, everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. Every, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Or it says like, and brought under its power or allowing it to control me. Or some translations say, I will not be dominated by anything. And so I was like, I don't want to be dominated by peanut M&Ms. I don't want to be dominated by um, my, my words and wanting their attention. I want to be wholly his. And so it's not a question of, oh, am I allowed to do that? It was, no, I don't even want the boundary line between what is permissible and what is beneficial. I want I don't even want the boundary line. I want to go so far into what is permissible that if it, that what is beneficial, that if it, if it's not permissible, it's not even my question. It's not even the point is what is allowed or not. It is, I just want him and I want my heart to be fully his. And so there were several things like, like listening to country music, like woke all these things up inside of my heart that were not healthy. And so I was like, I'm just not going to listen to country music right now or watch any like chick flicks or just things that were like obviously not helpful, but they're not bad or wrong, but it was just not helpful for me. That was when social media started growing. It was like a new thing. And I was like, new during that time, I cannot touch that with a 10 foot pole. It will be so harmful for me. And so I never have and never, never ever started down that pathway for me because the idea of trying to like put something out there for the world to see about my life, I just knew it would be very challenging for my heart. And I was like, I just, it's not even beneficial for me at all. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so those were those choices that I was making during those times. And it also in Hebrews 12, it talks about throwing off everything that hinders you so you can run. And so that was what I was doing during that time was running, running, running towards him, throwing everything off and putting in all the good things. And then I remember moving into motherhood. And again, just, you know, I'm married. I live here in College Station now. I started having um, children. And I remember with Ethan, our firstborn, it was like this love that I have for him is so big. I don't even know. I, the, the thought of losing him feels so terrifying to me that it was like fear I mean, it just like felt like it was like choking me like this. Like I didn't even know how to love that much without having fear. They just felt like they went hand in hand. And, I, and the, the pain, the thought of the pain of life, losing him or just the, seeing him cry or, you know, all the things. I just didn't know how to handle it. And so I just went on a journey and I was like, Father, teach me how to handle this. Teach me how to receive you in the midst of all of the disappointments in life and pain and because, um, I mean, honestly, as a parent, like Tyler and I were laughing about it yesterday. We were like, there's a million disappointments every day for your kids, for yourself. Like, it's just little bitty things, big things. It's just life is full of that. And we have to learn how to experience it and find him in it and not let it define us, you know. And so it was just a long journey. I remember one of my first D groups, we did this long fast together when we, were, it was, we first started the church. And I, anyway, just like consistently, never stopped. I mean, it wasn't just like the things that I did in college. It was like still finding ways that I can refine and shape my soul. Um, and then one of the biggest things that shaped me in those places was it was going to the nations. It was like getting there and touching and tasting and feeling what another culture looks like, what it looked like in Haiti right after the earthquake and what it looked like in Brussels right after all the refugee crisis and touching a man from Syria and talking to him and seeing what happened to his body when he was trying to flee and 
going on an adventure with a group of people to share the gospel in a common goal, all of those things, they change you. They change the way you see life. They change the way you see your family and what is valuable and not. And so when it's time and the borders open up, I say we're going to be a people that go. We're going to keep going. We're not going to stay cloistered in when it's ready and when we're time. I want us to be a people that always go and tell people about Jesus. And so we did all of those things. And I think another main goal in my heart and something that helped me in finding Jesus and letting him nourish my soul in all these ways was recognizing that there isn't a separation between what is secular and what is sacred. So we can encounter God and experience him in, in like just with a paintbrush in your shed, just painting together, laughing, playing outside, just as much as you can when you're singing a worship song. Like he is in all things. There's not just one part of life where God resides. He resides in all of us, in all of the things that we do. And so I want you to recognize that as you continue to work on your soil and do things that are radically obedient so that that virtuous, noble heart is being established so that you can see that yielded fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so a few years into planting the church, though, there was this season that was very challenging. I don't know if you want to call it like a fire storm or a tornado or like a frozen tundra or something, but it was like all the hard work that I had done in my heart, it was like poof, like it was a challenging season for me personally and for a lot of people in our church. I um, lost three babies in miscarriage and there were several people that passed away that were a part of our church that I love deeply and carry their loss deeply in my heart. And there was um, just the, the effects of all of that, they, they were very difficult for me. And what I remember about that time was it felt like when you looked at my life, there was no, or when I looked at my heart, there was like no fruit. It was like frozen tundra. But I was hiding underneath his wing. Like I was right there with him because all of those years of, of all of those things that I just talked about doing, it developed new habits, new ways of thinking, mindsets, understanding about him and his nature and his unfailing goodness and his devotion to me as his daughter. And it was he, he would never leave me, never forsake me. And so in those moments where everything was, felt like it was shaking, I could find him underneath, that, underneath the shadow of his wing and be safe in him because I had walked through. I knew it. I knew it. There wasn't a question about that. There was a frozen tundra, and it was really hard, but he and I were, were together. And it, it talks about that in Psalms. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation. I called to the Lord. He saved me. It just goes on and on. It's so beautiful. But what I love, it says in verse 18, they confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He delights in us. He wants to rescue us. And I felt like I was daily needing him to rescue me. But I just wanted to highlight again, it says, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has rewarded me. And so there really is a direct correlation of how things grow within our lives and the choices that we make to be obedient to him. And so he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And in those moments where it feels like it, there's a fire, like in a true forest fire, 
the soil underneath it gets richer. It gets, it gets even richer in the, midst of a, in the midst of a fire. And he will always be faithful to us. And so what I love, it, we, we referenced 1 Corinthians 3 earlier. And it says a little later in 1 Corinthians 3. That, so it's like we're a field, but then it also talks about God as a builder. And that he doesn't just want our field to be fertile and have good soil, but he wants to build the kingdom of heaven upon our lives. He wants to establish his works, his dreams, his ideas upon us. And what's so amazing about that is that the way that I'm made and my personality and the things that I like or don't like or the things that make sense to me and are harder for me to understand make me the perfect field for God to build some of his dreams on. But your makeup, your personality, the things that make sense to you or that you're good at are completely different. And there are dreams and desires and things that God wants to build upon your life that would be horrible to build upon my life because they wouldn't make any sense to me and I'd be bad at them. But you are going to be so much better at that. And then it's the same with every single person. So his ability to dream through us and for us to create and, and to build for, for on behalf of him so that others may know him, it's like endless. There's endless creativity. There's endless opportunity and variety And because you're different than me and I'm different than her and, and that's the way that it's supposed to be. And so the petty comparison or I wish that you were like that or this or that, it's just like, gosh, it has to end because when we can be thankful for the way that we are and, and even if it's like Mars, you know that God can grow on you and he's going to keep growing on you and then you're going to be like the coolest planet ever, you know? And so it's like, it just, it, it's like we want to be thankful for that person and all the ways they've made and secure in who we are. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, by grace, God has given me. I have, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So he is our foundation. If anyone builds on his foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet he will be saved, even, through, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And so this is a sobering verse, but what it shows is that it matters what we build. It matters what we build. We can be saved. Like I said, that the thrust of his salvation banner in our heart, like our territory is his, we're going to heaven. But that isn't, that's not the whole point. The point is to partner with him, to work with him, to grow with him. And so we want to be people that, that he builds upon our lives with good, rich, amazing, costly things that when the fire comes, they last. They, we want to be people that build the things that last for heaven. And I think of that being faithful in the little. So when we're talking about building, like it says in um, Isaiah 60, the least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I, the Lord, and it's time will do this swiftly. And so when we're changing a diaper on a little baby or we're training our child how to be obedient when they're so overwhelmingly 
disobedient, that hard work and those moments, it says the least of you will become a thousand, the smallest of mighty nations. So it's like that faithful and the little in our parenting or loving that one person, there's it, the impact of their life is so much bigger and greater than we know. And, and so as I, as I end and the band comes up, I just, I wanted to, to remind us that we are faithful in the little, we um, choose to be people that prepare the soil of our heart so that it is, we have noble, virtuous hearts that can yield that fruit. But we also um, want to remember all the time that we seek his face and not his hand. It is not the whole point of all of this. Like it said, the word riches is, it speaks of being ready for him, not about like what he can give us or what we can do or what we can get from him. That isn't the point. And so I wanted to read to you a few things that we've seen here in our midst that God has done in our church. And I want to remind us about his power and, but that the fact that, that he, he is the reason. And so here at our church, we have seen unbelievably, undeniable, unbelievable revival. We have seen students lining the aisle, repenting for hours here in our church, just God's presence falling so deeply. We've seen people, the dead raised. We've seen deaf ears open. We've seen cancer disappear. We've seen children in the womb with no hope of survival live. We've seen unbelievable financial provision in this church. We've seen the spirit of suicide and depression almost take someone's life and then be completely gone from them forevermore. We've seen marriages without hope restored to fullness. We've seen prodigal sons come home. We've seen such clear prophetic words that it was impossible for someone to know it unless God was speaking through them. We have seen infertility go away and a fruitful womb restored. We've seen addiction and anger and rage fall off of more people than we can count. And all of those things are amazing. We love those things. We want God to keep moving in power. I hope that all we've seen is just the tiniest tip of the iceberg in God's nature being revealed through us as his church. I hope that we've never even begun to taste all that he has in store, the tiniest tip of the iceberg. But that's not why we follow him. That isn't why we're here, is to see his miracles. He is a miracle working God. He will always perform miracles because he is his nature. And I hope that as his disciples, we'll always see them in increasing measure until he returns and we won't need to see the miracles anymore because he'll be with us. They won't be needed like the sun will have no need because he will be our light. But he's the reason, y'all. He's the reason. And we want to be people that break our alabaster jars at his feet, that give him every single thing that we have. We want to seek his face, not his hand. When we seek his face, then we know his nature. And so when times are coming and we're stomping around in the, in the fruit, fruits of our grapes and are about ready to make the wine and the harvest is here, or when it feels like a frozen tundra, we don't look at him and go, but God, if only you were good. We say, no, we know him. We know he's good in thick and thin in plenty and in want. We know he's good. He's unfailingly good. And he wants to establish us as mighty oaks for the display of his splendor. And we wanna be people who love. And so I'm gonna end our time with reading just the passage on love. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so let's be a people who love. And I want you to join with me and I want you to choose to be a people who allow him to have all of your heart. And we break our alabaster jar at his feet and give him all of ourselves and then watch that nothing is impossible. Thank you, Lord. I just thank you for my friends. I ask for your power of your presence to be with them as they respond. I thank you for hope in you that can never be disappointed. And we thank you that when we give you our whole life, that nothing is impossible. In Jesus' name, amen.